Hello, and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott, and I'm here to read you a bedtime story. I am a woman who keeps her promises, and as I said last week, after two weeks of body horror, I have for you a ghostly little tale. No gore, no um, existentialism, well, maybe a touch. I mean, I don't think you can escape that when you're talking about the supernatural, but nothing like the last two weeks. This one is an old-timey story. You know, the ones I love to read and so many of you are fans of. This story is by Algernon Blackwood, an author whose work I know I've read on the show before. Blackwood was a prolific writer of horror stories, and I've always been a huge fan of his. This story was published originally in 1907 in The Listener and Other Stories. I think you're really going to enjoy this beautiful take on a haunted house. This is The Woman's Ghost Story. Yes, she said, from her seat in the dark corner. I'll tell you an experience if you care to listen. And what's more, I'll tell it briefly, without trimmings. I mean, without unessentials. That's a thing storytellers never do, you know? (laughs) She laughed. They drag in all the unessentials and leave their listeners to disentangle. But I'll give you just the essentials, and you can make of it what you please. But one condition, that at the end, you ask no questions, because I can't explain it, and have no wish to. We agreed. We were all serious. After listening to a dozen prolix stories from people who merely wished to talk but had nothing to tell. We wanted essentials. In those days, she began, feeling from the quality of our silence that we were with her. In those days, I was interested in psychic things and had arranged to sit up alone in a haunted house in the middle of London. It was a cheap and dingy lodging house in a mean street unfurnished. I had already made a preliminary examination in daylight that afternoon, and the keys from the caretaker who lived next door were in my pocket. The story was a good one, satisfied me at any rate, that it was worth investigating, and I won't weary you with details as to the woman's murder and all the tiresome elaboration as to why the place was alive. Enough that it was. I was a good deal bored, therefore, to see a man, whom I took to be the talkative old caretaker, waiting for me on the steps when I went in at 11pm, 
for I had sufficiently explained that I wished to be there alone for the night. I wish to show you the room, he mumbled, and of course, I couldn't exactly refuse having tipped him for the temporary loan of a chair and table. Come in, then, and let's be quick, I said. We went in, he shuffling after me through the unlighted hall up to the first floor where the murder had taken place, and I prepared myself to hear his inevitable account before turning him out with the half-crown his persistence had earned. After lighting the gas, I sat down in the armchair he had provided, a faded brown plush armchair, and turned for the first time to face him and get through with the performance as quickly as possible, and it was in that instant I got my first shock. The man was not the caretaker. It was not the old fool Carrie I had interviewed earlier in the day and made my plans with. My heart gave a horrid jump. Now, who are you, pray? I said. You're not Carrie, the man I arranged with this afternoon. Who are you? I felt uncomfortable, as you may imagine. I was a psychical researcher and a young woman of new tendencies and proud of my liberty, but I did not care to find myself in an empty house with a stranger. Something of my confidence left me. Confidence with women, you know, is all humbug after a certain point. Or perhaps you don't know, for most of you are men. But anyhow, my pluck ebbed in a quick rush, and I felt afraid. Who are you? I repeated quickly and nervously. The fellow was well-dressed, youngish and good-looking, but with a face of great sadness. I myself was barely thirty. I am giving you essentials, or I would not mention it. Out of quite ordinary things comes this story. I think that's why it has value. No, he said. I'm the man who was frightened to death. His voice and his words ran through me like a knife, and I felt ready to drop. In my pocket was the book I had bought to make notes in. I felt the pencil sticking in the socket. I felt, too, the extra warm things I had put on to sit up in, as no bed or sofa was available. A hundred things dashed through my mind, foolishly and without sequence or meaning, as the way is when one is really frightened. Unessentials leaped up and puzzled me, and I thought of what the papers might say if it came out, and what my smart brother-in-law would think, and whether it would be told that I had cigarettes in my pocket, and was a free thinker. The man who was frightened to death... I repeated, aghast. That's me, he said, stupidly. I stared at him just as you would have done, any one of you men now listening to me, and felt my life ebbing and flowing like a sort of hot fluid. You needn't laugh. That's how I felt. Small things, you know, touch the mind with great earnestness. When terror is there, real terror, 
but I might have been at a middle-class tea party for all the ideas I had. They were so... ordinary. But I thought you were the caretaker. I tipped this afternoon to let me sleep here, I gasped. Did... did Carrie send you to meet me? No, he replied, in a voice that touched my boots somehow. I am the man who was frightened to death. And what's more, I am frightened now. So am I, I managed to utter, speaking instinctively. I'm simply terrified. Yes, he replied, in that same odd voice that seemed to sound within me. But you are still in the flesh, and I am not. I felt the need for vigorous self-assertion. I stood up in that empty, unfurnished room, digging the nails into my palms and clenching my teeth. I was determined to assert my individuality and my courage as a new woman and a free soul. You mean to say you are not in the flesh? I gasped. What in the world are you talking about? The silence of the night swallowed up my voice. For the first time, I realized that darkness was over the city, that dust lay upon the stairs, that the floor above was untenanted, and the floor below empty. I was alone in an unoccupied and haunted house, unprotected, and a woman. I chilled. I heard the wind round the house and knew the stars were hidden. My thoughts rushed to policemen and omnibuses and everything that was useful and comforting. I suddenly realized what a fool I was to come to such a house alone. I was icily afraid. I thought the end of my life had come. I was an utter fool to go in for psychical research when I had not the necessary nerve. Good God, I gasped. If you're not Carrie, the man I arranged with, who are you? I was really stiff with terror. The man moved slowly towards me across the empty room. I held up my arm to stop him, getting up out of my chair at the same moment, and he came to halt just opposite me. A smile on his worn sad face. I told you who I am. (sighs) He repeated, quietly, with a sigh, looking at me with the saddest eyes I have ever seen. And I am frightened still. By this time, I was convinced that I was entertaining either a rogue or a madman, and I cursed my stupidity in bringing the man in without having seen his face. My mind was quickly made up, and I knew what to do. Ghosts and psychic phenomena flew to the winds. If I angered the creature, my life might pay the price. I must humor him till I got to the door, and then race for the street. I stood bolt upright and faced him. We were about of a height, 
And I was a strong, athletic woman who played hockey in the winter and climbed Alps in the summer. My hand itched for a stick, but I had none. Now, of course I remember, I said with a sort of stiff smile that was very hard to force. Now, I remember your case and the wonderful way you behaved. The man stared at me stupidly, turning his head to watch me as I backed more and more quickly to the door. But when his face broke into a smile, I could control myself no longer. I reached for the door in a run and shot out onto the landing. Like a fool, I turned the wrong way and stumbled over the stairs, leading to the next story. But it was too late to change. The man was after me, I was sure, though no sound of footsteps came. And I dashed up the next flight, tearing my skirt and banging my ribs in the darkness, and rushed headlong into the first room I came to. Luckily, the door stood ajar, and, still more fortunate, there was a key in the lock. In a second, I had slammed the door, flung my whole weight against it, and turned the key. I was safe, but my heart was beating like a drum. A second later, it seemed to stop altogether, for I saw that there was someone else in the room besides myself. A man's figure stood between me and the windows, where the street lamps gave just enough light to outline his shape against the glass. I'm a plucky woman, you know, for even then I didn't give up hope. But I may tell you, I have never felt so vilely frightened in all my born days. I had locked myself in with him. The man leaned against the window, watching me where I lay in a collapsed heap upon the floor. So, there were two men in the house with me, I reflected. Perhaps other rooms were occupied too. What could it all mean? But, as I stared, something changed in the room. Or in me. Hard to say which. And I realized my mistake so that my fear, which had so far been physical, at once altered its character and became psychical. I became afraid in my soul instead of in my heart, and I knew immediately who this man was. How in the world did you get up here? I stammered to him across the empty room, amazement momentarily stemming my fear. Now, let me tell you, he began, in that odd, faraway voice of his that went down my spine like a knife. I'm in a different space, for one thing, and you'd find me in any room you went into, for according to your way of measuring, I'm all over the house, space is a bodily condition, but I am out of the body and am not affected by space. 
It's my condition that keeps me here. I want something to change my condition for me, for then I could get away. What I want is sympathy. Or really, more than sympathy. I want affection. I want love. While he was speaking, I gathered myself slowly upon my feet. I wanted to scream and cry and laugh all at once, but I only succeeded in sighing, for my emotion was exhausted and a numbness was coming over me. I felt for the matches in my pocket and made a movement towards the gas jet. I should be much happier if you didn't light the gas, he said at once, for the vibrations of your light hurt me a great deal. You need not be afraid that I shall injure you. I can't touch your body to begin with, for there's a great gulf fixed, you know, and really, this half-light suits me best. Now, let me continue what I was trying to say before. You know, so many people have come to this house to see me, and most of them have seen me, and one and all have been terrified. If only... If only one would not be terrified, but kind and loving to me. Then, you see, I might be able to change my condition and get away. His voice was so sad that I felt tears start somewhere at the back of my eyes. But fear kept all else in check, and I stood shaking and cold as I listened to him. Who are you then? Of course Carrie didn't send you, I know now, I managed to utter. My thoughts scattered dreadfully, and I could think of nothing to say. I was afraid of a stroke. I know nothing about Carrie or who he is, continued the man quietly, and the name my body had. I have forgotten, thank God. But I am the man who was frightened to death in this house ten years ago. And I have been frightened ever since, and am frightened still. For the succession of cruel and curious people who come to this house to see the ghost and thus keep alive its atmosphere of terror only helps to render my condition worse. If only someone would be kind to me, laugh, speak gently and rationally with me, cry if they like, pity, comfort, soothe me, anything, but come here in curiosity and tremble as you are now doing in that corner. Now, madam, won't you take pity on me? His voice rose to a dreadful cry. Won't you step out into the middle of the room and try to love me a little? A horrible laughter came gurgling up in my throat as I heard him. 
but the sense of pity was stronger than the laughter, and I found myself actually leaving the support of the wall and approaching the center of the floor. By God, he cried at once, straightening up against the window. You have done a kind act. That's the first attempt at sympathy that has been shown to me since I died. And I feel better already. In life, you know, I was a misanthrope. Everything went wrong with me. And I came to hate my fellow man so much that I couldn't bear to see them even. Of course, like begets like, and this hate was returned. Finally, I suffered from horrible delusions, and my room became haunted with demons that laughed and grimaced, and one night I ran into a whole cluster of them near the bed, and the fright stopped my heart and killed me. It's hate and remorse as much as terror that clogs me so thickly and keeps me here. If only someone could feel pity and sympathy and perhaps a little love for me, I could get away and be happy. When you came this afternoon to see over the house, I watched you and a little hope came to me for the first time. I saw you had courage, originality, resource, love. If only I could touch your heart without frightening you. I knew I could perhaps tap that love you have stored up in your being there and thus borrow the wings for my escape. Now, I must confess, my heart began to ache a little, as fear left me, and the man's words sank their sad meaning into me. Still, the whole affair was so incredible, and so touched with unholy quality, and the story of a woman's murder I had come to investigate had so obviously nothing to do with this thing that I felt myself in a kind of wild dream that seemed likely to stop at any moment and leave me somewhere in bed after a nightmare. Moreover, his words possessed me to such an extent that I found it impossible to reflect upon anything else at all or to consider adequately any ways or means of action or escape. I moved a little nearer to him, in the gloom, horribly frightened, of course, but with the beginnings of a strange determination in my heart. You women, he continued, his voice plainly thrilling at my approach. You wonderful women, to whom life often brings no opportunity of spending your great love. Oh, if you only could know how many of us simply yearn for it, 
It would save our souls. If but you do, few might find the chance that you now have. But if you only spent your love freely, without definite object, just letting it flow openly for all who need, you would reach hundreds and thousands of souls like me and release us. Oh, madam, I ask you again to feel with me, to be kind and gentle, and if you can, to love me a little. My heart did leap within me, and this time the tears did come, for I could not restrain them. I laughed, too, for the way he called me madam sounded so odd here in this empty room at midnight in a London street. But my laughter stopped dead and merged in a flood of weeping when I saw how my change of feeling affected him. He had left his place by the window and was kneeling on the floor at my feet. His hands stretched out towards me and the first signs of a kind of glory about his head. Put your arms round me and kiss me for the love of God, he cried. Kiss me, oh, kiss me and I shall be freed. You have done so much already. Now do this. I stuck there, hesitating, shaking, my determination on the verge of action, yet not quite able to compass it. But the terror had almost gone. Forget that I'm a man and you're a woman, he continued in the most beseeching voice I ever heard. Forget that I'm a ghost and come out boldly and press me to you with a great kiss and let your love flow into me. Forget yourself for just one minute and do a brave thing. Oh, love me. Love me. Love me. And I shall be free. The words, or the deep force they somehow released in the center of my being, stirred me profoundly, and... An emotion infinitely greater than fear surged up over me and carried me with it across the edge of action. Without hesitation, I took two steps forward towards him where he knelt and held out my arms. Pity and love were in my heart at that moment. Genuine pity, I swear. And genuine love. I forgot myself and my little tremblings in a great desire to help another soul. I love you, poor, aching, unhappy thing. I love you. I cried through hot tears. And I am not the least bit afraid in the world. The man uttered a curious sound, like laughter, yet not laughter, 
and turned his face up to me. The light from the street fell below it. But there was another light, too, shining all round. It seemed to come from the eyes and skin. He rose to his feet and met me, and in that second, I folded him to my breast and kissed him full on the lips again and again. All our pipes had gone out, and not even a skirt rustled in that dark studio as the storyteller paused a moment to steady her voice and put a hand softly up to her eyes before going on again. Now, what can I say? And how can I describe to you all you skeptical men sitting there with your pipes in your mouths? The amazing sensation I experienced of holding an intangible, impalpable thing so closely to my heart that it touched my body with equal pressure all the way down and then melted away somewhere into my very being. For it was like seizing a rush of cool wind and feeling a touch of burning fire the moment it had struck its soft blow and passed on. A series of shocks ran all over and through me, a momentary ecstasy of flaming sweetness and wonder thrilled down into me. My heart gave another great leap. And then I was alone. The room was empty. I turned on the gas and struck a match to prove it. All fear had left me, and something was singing round me in the air and in my heart like the joy of a spring morning in youth. Not all the devils or shadows or hauntings in the world could then have caused me a single tremor. I unlocked the door and went all over the dark house, even into the kitchen and cellar and up among the ghostly attics. But the house was empty. Something had left it. I lingered a short hour, analyzing, thinking, wondering. You can guess what and how, perhaps, but I won't detail, for I promised. Only essentials, remember? And then went out to sleep the remainder of the night in my own flat, locking the door behind me upon a house no longer haunted. But my uncle, Sir Henry, the owner of the house, required an account of my adventure, and of course I was in duty bound to give him some kind of a true story. Before I could begin, however, he held up his hand to stop me. First, he said, 
I wish to tell you of a little deception I ventured to practice on you. So many people have been to that house and seen the ghost that I came to think that the story acted on their imaginations and wished to make a better test. So I invented for their benefit another story with the idea that if you did see anything, I could be sure it was not due merely to an excited imagination. Then, what you told me about a woman having been murdered and all that, was not the true story of the haunting? It was not. The true story is that a cousin of mine went mad in that house and killed himself in a fit of morbid terror, following upon years of miserable hypochondriasis. It is his figure that investigators see. <gasps> that explains, then. I gasped. Explains what? I thought of that poor, struggling soul, longing all these years for escape, and determined to keep my story for the present to myself. Explains, I mean, why I did not see the ghost of the murdered woman. I concluded. Precisely, said Sir Henry. And why, if you had seen anything, it would have had value inasmuch as it could not have been caused by the imagination working upon a story you already knew. Thanks for listening, and thank you to this week's author, wherever he may be. (laughs) If you like the show, then please follow me on all the social medias, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at ScareYouToSleep. If you have something that you'd like on the show, then if you'd like me to read one of your stories, basically, (laughs) you can submit it to ScareYouToSleep at gmail.com. You can follow me personally on social media at Shelby B. Scott, if you so choose. I'm more active on Twitter than I am on Instagram, just a heads up. Um, Okay, and this is the part of the show where, if you're not familiar, uh, we ramble, or I ramble, we, (laughs) me and the mouse in my pocket. I just kind of talk about my week and decompress from the story and hopefully you drift off to sleep if it's not your jam then that's okay and i will see you next week feel free by the way don't ever feel bad if you want to just turn off the episode right after the story um but i won't know and it won't hurt my feelings (laughs) so let's talk about this story real quick i know some i don't usually dive deep into the stories but this is an old-timey one so i feel a little less weird about taking it apart uh, raise of hands who thought that the ghost was a little bit, a little bit in Selly, a little bit, just a little bit. The whole like women, if you would just love more, then you could free more ghosts, especially like me. And the fact that his way of being set free was like a physical kiss on the lips, you know, being it, it just it, it was interesting. It was funny because. 
I don't, I can't really tell if Algernon Blackwood, which I'm sure there was a touch of this, making fun of independent women of the era, uh, because there were a few little lines like, uh, women are only, um, what, what, something about how women are only brave. He didn't use the word brave, but women are only brave to a point, and then we get scared. Which, I mean, I think is true of anyone. <laughs> I, I think of any person, really. But um, I did appreciate the protagonist being a very independent woman and kind of laying out those things and how, I don't know, I, I think it's okay to be afraid sometimes, especially when there's a full-fledged apparition right in front of you crying and begging you to kiss him. So, um, but I did like the little points of, uh, just what it was like to be an independent woman at the time, like how she was afraid that if she was killed in the house, the papers would say she had cigarettes in her pocket and her brother-in-law would be like so embarrassed and all those things. I thought that was really interesting and a fun look into 1907, essentially, and what people thought of independent women who were unmarried and women in general. So I found that really fascinating. I thought this was a very unique story. It's not um, one of his more popular ones. It's not hard to find in this day of the internet. In fact, I think if I remember to do so, I'll link it in the show notes, the digital version that I read off of so you can read along if you'd like or read independently. I initially found it in a compilation of ghost stories that I have. I have a big, thick book full of ghost stories. And when I went to look for some of those, by the way, it's it's pretty interesting. This book that I have, it's just from Barnes & Noble, but a lot of them are not available online. They're in the public domain, but they just weren't popular enough to be reprinted on the internet or make any lists of famous ghost stories or anything. And so it's kind of sad. I hope they don't get lost someday. You know what I mean? So which is why I really like to read these old older stories almost as a way to preserve them a little bit and to show more people them. I've had so many of you write to me and tell me that you were never one to read classic literature, which it's it's it can be a, a bit much. I, I will fully admit some of it is a little hard for me to narrate as well because the language can be, they talked so differently than we do now. Language is always evolving, um, which is why you shouldn't be so harsh on new slang. Language is always evolving. Listen to any of my old-timey ones. People just talk different every decade or so, and that's okay. And um, it's why Shakespeare is so unrecognizable if you're not uh, fluent in Elizabethan, because they spoke English, but a very different English than we do now. Um, but yeah, so this story was in a, it's a compilation of ghost stories. Um, what did you think of the story? By the way, if you listen on Spotify, I was just told this today by one of the producers at Bloody Disgusting. Um you can leave comments now on Spotify on each episode. And I went to look and sure enough, I had comments on the last two episodes. Uh, some of them were very not nice. I've gotten to the point where I don't, uh, I don't really read reviews. I appreciate reviews. They help me a lot in the charts and things, but I got, it's hard to read them. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a sensitive little baby. And um, sometimes it's hard to read, especially the very bad faith ones that are very, just personal. Um, you know, they, they get you down and I'm only human. And unfortunately 
uh, part of the human condition I'm noticing is that you can have 10 amazing reviews in a row and then you'll have one bad one and the bad one is the one that sticks with you and it was just not great for my mental health so I don't know how um how much I will be (laughs) checking these comments but feel free to leave them and I have power to publish them and they will be published on Spotify in some way so that's pretty cool um yeah and I I did I published a few of them so if you want to go look or if you left a comment then feel free to go look and I I published uh, some of them um I didn't not publish just bad ones I just kind of published I I don't know I don't I don't know how it really works so if you don't see yours and you were like but I was nice it's just because I'm figuring this whole system out Uh, so feel free to go comment on this one by the way and let me know what you think and what you think of the ghost and what you think of the commentary I'd love to hear it I'd love to hear your opinions and if you're a patreon listener if you're listening on patreon right now feel free to comment for some reason these like I said these older ones I really like to take apart and talk about um yeah or talk on social media you don't have to do spotify or patreon to social media oh and speaking of patreon if you are new here if you'd like ad free episodes you can get that on patreon for a dollar a month starting at a dollar a month and then from three dollars and up you it's a few different bonuses but three dollars and up you get the bonus episodes one dollar a month gets you all the ad free episodes and then three dollars and up you get bonus episodes. Yes. Okay. That was, yes. Okay. I got it right. (laughs) Okay. Um, what else? Oh, baking. I know you want to hear what I baked. I baked bread pudding for the first time ever. I don't know when I was making it. I don't know if I've even ever had it before, like tasted it. And I had this like three quarters of a loaf of a a French bread that was stale. And, um, I was like, I, I hate, I hate food waste. I really do. It's, it's real. It, it really irks me. I, if I can avoid it, I will not waste food. And so I was like, oh my God, I've watched Chopped a million times. And what do they always turn any bread product into, including like donuts or whatever? They always make bread pudding. And so I decided to look up a recipe and I made bread pudding and it was so easy and so delicious. I'm, I've been missing out in all my years on bread pudding. It was like a warm hug at Christmas is how I think I described it on Twitter because I kind of documented my, my bread pudding journey on Twitter a little bit. Uh, and it was so good. I did a pretty, I think, what is a basic recipe. I know there's ver- there's a ton of variations and tons of different breads you can use. So I used French bread and it was just a, the, the flavoring was vanilla, cinnamon, and nutmeg. And then it was a vanilla sauce that went on top. So I think that's a pretty basic recipe. If I, I don't, I th- I'm pretty sure they usually have raisins, but I'm not a huge raisin fan. I'm not, I don't hate them and I didn't have any anyway. So they, it was raisinless and I wanted to try something just very basic for my first bread pudding and it was very good. And yeah, um, let me know if, again, uh, as always, if you want that recipe, <laughs> feel free to let me know. It was very good. I cut it in half um, because I only, I didn't have a full loaf of bread, but um, it was very, very good. Uh, Yeah. So let me know if you want that recipe. If you've never had bread pudding and you want to try it out just like me, uh, it might sound crazy that to bake something you've never even tasted before. And usually I wouldn't, but I know from my years of watching food, uh, food shows, uh, especially food challenge shows that it was 
going to be pretty easy and the flavors sounded uh i was familiar enough with them to get a gist of like okay i think i'm going to like this so yeah uh and this week i'm really excited to try i'm going to try this egyptian recipe i found on tiktok and it's like a meat pie kind of thing with phyllo dough and ground beef um i think they use different types of meat but she said you could use ground beef and I happen to have some and like cinnamon and allspice. It sounds delicious. I'm very excited to make that this week. Um, yeah. And what else? I think that I've talked. Oh, this is so long. This is so long. Look at this. I'm just in a chatty mood. Oh, there's a new historic hangouts before I go. There is a new episode of historic hangouts. We did the bridge cafe in New York city, New York city. I can't ever say New York city without thinking of the old, um, salsa commercials (laughs) god i know i'm aging myself because this probably came out forever ago the salsa commercials remember with the cowboys sitting around and they look at the label and they're like new york city anyway okay this is a horror show this is a show where i read horror stories and now i'm like doing southern accents and talking about salsa all right it's just off the rails okay yeah new historic hangouts lot of fun thank you so much to those of you who have been tuning in thank you so much to those of you who've been sending in suggestions for historic hangouts it's been so much fun um you can do that at uh historic hangouts pod at gmail.com i'm plugging my other show but it's my show so i can do that uh yeah and go listen to the spanish version of this show dormir or dormir o morir i will say it without my terrible spanish accent so you can understand it a little better and that's on me not on you because i have a very bad spanish accent um so dormir o morir (laughs) that feels weird to say it that way my grandma is going to like kill me she doesn't listen to my show thank god but uh my she is probably she's horrified by my spanish um okay and so is my dad uh, he's if he listens I'm so sorry he gets on me for saying queso instead of queso um, okay I'm gonna go I'm getting too chatty <laughs> alright go get some sleep sweet dreams <laughs>